I've got a few questions picked out. I'm going to let this flow like a conversation, but I do have some things I'm excited to pick your brain about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Not the least this scotch. I mean, I want you to walk me through it. As I showed you before we started recording, I haven't even broken the seal on it yet, so it's going to be fun to walk through it here. So, yeah. In order to get started here, I'd like for you to just go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody. I have with me Tim, the whiskey influencer. If, you, if you'd like, just go ahead and give your backstory a little bit, what your channel's about, and we'll kind of get into how you got into whiskey, but for right now, just elevator pitch of your channel. Uh, so my channel is obviously to talk about whiskey, uh, particularly Scotch whiskey. I do have, I do lean towards Scotch whiskey over bourbons and American whiskeys and other styles. Um, and I just like to shed some light and insight into lesser known whiskeys for the most part. Uh, one of my more popular series are is the uh, whiskeys you shouldn't buy anymore, and that's basically showing that uh, there's a lot of marketing money that goes into some of these popular brands that. Uh, may or may not necessarily lead to good whiskey or whiskey that's better than some of the lesser known stuff out there. So my goal is to uh, bring good valued whiskey to the light for people to have more options other than the brand names that you typically see in stores. I think that's great. And I mean, I think a lot of people who've been following me for a while know that, especially in the bourbon world, I try to do a very similar thing. I try to <laughs> basically bring forward these craft brands or these budget brands, these these whiskeys you can find sitting on the shelf. Um, and I really appreciate that you do that for scotch. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited for this conversation, because... I feel like, obviously, you're killing it in the social media game. You've got a ton of followers. What, where are you at now on Instagram? Like 130-something? Yeah, 133-ish thousand, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got this this huge following, and what I love about it is you come at whiskey from a very different perspective than I do. Uh, your your content's a little bit different than mine. Your, like you said, you focus on scotch a lot, and so I think that's a really interesting conversation to have because i think it, it, it provides a well-rounded perspective from both sides which is why i have a lot of questions for you about scotch here as we as we continue in our conversation but we will do a review of brook brook lottie right am i pronouncing that right yeah yeah brook lottie brook lottie yeah either either one it's uh you know it's gaelic it's hard to pronounce in general but uh you've got it I, I mess up scotch, and it's been an ongoing joke on this podcast, but <laughs> we've got the classic Lottie from Brook Lottie, um, and so we will be drinking that here in just a moment. Now, one, one question that I always start with that I like to think just breaks the ice, it's real easy, is how did your love of whiskey begin? And you can start as early on that journey as you'd like. Yeah, uh, I mean, my whiskey journey is actually relatively uh, young uh, compared to some of the other whiskey influencers out there. Uh, it started back in 2019. Um, one of my uh, good friends was a whiskey drinker, and uh, he wanted to go to the liquor store with me. And I was like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of whiskey. And uh, he's like, oh, you should just try it. I was like, all right, I'm going to find a bottle here. If I don't like it, uh, you have to buy it back from me. Um, you know, so that was kind of the, the deal that we struck. And it was the Nika whiskey from the barrel. And I ended up really enjoying it. And then I was like, huh. And he got a couple of Balvenies and, you know, some, some uh, you know, mainstream whiskeys. And I tried those and I enjoyed those. They were very different. I was like, man, this is, this is pretty cool how different these whiskeys are. And that kind of uh, spiraled into where I am today. Uh, I would start doing some blind whiskey tastings with family members. And uh, each whiskey was so unique and uh, offered a different experience, a different perspective of whiskey. And so uh, it just kind of... Uh, snowballed into there and then eventually you know it got me into the 
whiskey influencing Instagram account, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I can't, I can't say it's, uh, it's been bad to me. You know, I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the people I've met. I enjoy the whiskeys I've had. So it's been great over the last uh, four years. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, you were starting right about the same time as me then. Did you, Mm -hmm. before that, what was your kind of experience or your relationship with alcohol? Did you have any of that kind of similar, like I know for me, when I, before I got into whiskey, I didn't have that type of appreciation that you get with whiskey. I was, alcohol was more, I was in college, you know, it was more for getting buzzed. It was more for social drinking. Uh, What was your relationship like that before you got to that, that whiskey with your friend? Yeah, so uh, before whiskey, I was uh, I really enjoyed wine. That was kind of my my uh, gateway into the world of more interesting, complex alcohols out there. Um, you know, and I, I was even kind of a late bloomer into wine. You know, I didn't get into that until I was in my uh, you know late twenties, probably. But uh, that offered a unique, interesting. Uh, perspective on alcohol more so than other stuff I've had in the past. And uh, the biggest problem I had with wine at the time was that you had to kind of dedicate yourself to an entire bottle in a night or over the course of a couple of nights because wine goes bad. And one of the most appealing things about whiskey to me was that in a single night, I can try three or four different whiskeys. I can compare them. I can see the differences and the nuances between them. And the bottle doesn't go bad. It can last in your shelf for years and you're never going to ruin the bottle. Uh, And that's really kind kind of why I've shifted and fully gone into the whiskey world. I still enjoy wine uh, on occasion, but uh, whiskey just offers something that no other alcohol to me has been able to offer, at least spirits in general. Uh, I do enjoy wines and other uh, spirits out there as well, or uh, uh, rums and, and cognacs and that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So do you yeah. have, I mean, how much do you dabble in like that little world? Cause I don't even, I haven't even touched that that world of spirits uh, a, a little bit a little bit uh there's some uh, really nice uh, rums that i've had that uh you know it's probably maybe three to four percent of my entire collection you see behind me so not a ton but i do like to dabble a little bit in uh in those other spirits just to kind of have a different perspective and as you know a lot of scotch is finished in various types of rum or port or other styles of uh other spirits and alcohols so being able to go to the source of those finishes really kind of helps build out your palate and pick up some of those nuances in a scotch whiskey so it's kind of uh all interconnected yeah it really is and that's one of the reasons i was actually just talking with somebody about that at uh, the kentucky bourbon festival about i need to do that i need to branch out and and try that so for those listening who this is some of the stuff I wanted to start to ask you about for those listening who are looking to get into scotch, especially cause I have a lot of bourbon drinkers listening. I think it's fair to say one of the ways that you can get better at picking up on scotch flavor notes, since there's such a wide array of different finishes is like you just said, trying those finishes and seeing what mm-hmm. you can look for when you're trying it in a scotch. Yeah. Now I am curious because we, we we do have a little bit of banter about this, um, the the bourbon versus the scotch. What made you gravitate gravitate specifically towards scotch? Was there like a moment that you realized, oh, I just like scotch better, or is it just like you just naturally did? Um, it was more so that that was the those were the first styles of whiskey that I would buy, and I noticed how different one scotch was from the next. And most bourbons, at least at lower proofs, like sub fifty percent ABV, just didn't really engage and click with me as much. They were a little more one dimensional, you know, a little bit uh, heavy on the sweet side, and I couldn't really pick out a ton of nuance with it. Um, and it wasn't until later in my whiskey journey that I I discovered Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, which is what was which was my gateway into bourbon that I. 
was like, all right, bourbons can actually be really fantastic and really good uh, whiskeys out there. But I still have a harder time engaging with bourbons in general than I do with Scotch whiskey, uh, just because you know, we've talked about this before. And from my perspective, the gamut of flavor profiles for a bourbon is much, much narrower. So you have 51% corn, virgin oak casks, and those two are so dominant in flavor that it's hard to kind of really take yourself away from some of those flavor profiles. They're always going to be there in most bourbons, uh, which I enjoy. I like, but I've never found myself wanting to have, you know, dozens of bottle of bourbons because to me, they all are so similar in their flavor profile, their base flavor profile that it hasn't quite uh, caught up with me. At least maybe I haven't had the enough uh, of the right bourbons out there, but uh, I do enjoy them, but just haven't really uh, found that engagement and that intrigue as I do with Scotch whiskeys. Yeah. And I always find that interesting. It, it, I forget who I was just talking with about this. If you speak with somebody who prefers scotch, they're always going to tell you that it has a wider array of flavors. And if you speak with somebody who prefers bourbon, in my experience at least, they're always going to tell you, well, it has a better a- array of flavors. And I find that really interesting because I think it could be kind of – I don't know if you've heard like uh, some people like cilantro. Other ones think it tastes like soap. Like I don't know if yeah. it could be something with your palate where certain people can just pull the nuance out of scotch and they're like, wow, you know, these are so different. This, you know, something – is special here and some people have that same reaction with bourbon i i don't know that science yeah. really knows that but i think it's really a, an interesting approach considering bourbon is so much better than scotch no i'm kidding oh, <laughs> I, had to th- I had to throw uh, that in there no uh, i i no. i love scotch and i'm excited to get into this bottle so i am going to crack it and start getting a little bit of a nose on it here yeah um, yeah no and i'll touch on that uh, point that you just made there and i think yeah. people who tend to drink bourbon more and people who tend to drink scotch more you know a lot of whiskey is practice and you got to drink a lot of it in order to build out your palate. So I think you're hundred percent right that if you're constantly drinking bourbon, you're going to be able to pick out some of those nuances in the different mash bills in the different rickhouse aging and did the various different parameters that kind of go into a bourbon and the same is true with scotch whiskey. Uh, that being said, I mean, there's a clear difference in, I, I feel like for scotch whiskey, malted barley, if you're going to talk about single malt or uh, blended malts, uh, it's a perfect vessel to carry other flavor, other nuances from uh, refill casks. And then obviously you've got peated versus non-peated, which is obviously a dramatically different flavor profile from one to the next, um, which you don't, at least in, in my experience, I haven't noticed such a large difference in flavor profile going from a uh, one bourbon to the next but maybe it's just something that i need to practice more and explore more in my whiskey journey yeah and i mean there's nothing wrong with that but i do i love what you said there right in the beginning i, I it totally i haven't heard anybody say it from this perspective before this is why i was excited about your perspective on this so you said single malt or if you're talking about a malt based recipe is a great carrier for other flavors and Mm -hmm. what i love about that perspective is in the uh, world of bourbon as finished bourbons have become a little bit more mainstream a little bit more popular Mm -hmm. there are individuals who dislike them because they say you're just trying to cover up the taste of the bourbon so it's like there are folks in the United States or, or at least bourbon drinkers who have the complete flip side of that, who have, yeah. they're like, it's not a carrier for other flavors. It's the flavor. So I think that is a great, 
dual side of the coin that I, I I hope people appreciate because I personally think moving into finished bourbons is, is exciting. Oh, yeah. I, I'm really excited to see what it does for the bourbon world. Um, and I also think <clears throat> that perspective on scotch is really interesting because it's a great point. Yeah. So I'm, I, I think I, I just want to point that out for those listening who I know I have a lot of listeners who fall on both sides of the finished bourbon debate. I, I at least like to call it finished bourbon and not just bourbon, but great, yeah. great point that you made there. Now, as I move into, uh, this this glass of scotch. I already just took one smell of it, and I'm already really excited to get into it. Uh, Brooklady is mm-hmm. typically peated. Am I right? Except not this bottle, but typically they they peat their stuff. Am I right in that? Uh, so the Brooklady under the Brooklady name is mostly unpeated. So okay, this one's unpeated. Okay. Uh, they do have a line of peated whiskeys uh, called Port Charlotte. That's going to be or Octomore. Both of those brands are their peated style. Brooklady in general is an unpeated uh, Isla Scotch whiskey, which is unique to Isla. Most Isla whiskeys are peated, or at least they have the perception of being peated. Brooklady, Bunahaven, those are a couple Isla Scotch whiskeys that are typically unpeated uh, in style. Okay, yes. I guess I didn't realize those were separate under the umbrella because I saw mm-hmm. uh, Port Charlotte and I haven't had that either, but I had heard that it's very peaty. And I think, is Octomore like the super duper yeah, ultra yeah. peaty one? Okay. Oh, <laughs> That's yeah, what I yeah, thought. Yeah. So, okay, good to know. So, yeah, this is, um, you know, Bunahabin, just their plain 10 years also not peated. Is that correct? That's unpeated as well. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, this is only the second unpeated Isla that I will have had. So, I'm really excited to yeah. get into it. Yeah, and Brook Laddie in general. So this is a great bottle for people looking into get, get into Scotch whiskey, uh, at least whiskey drinkers, because A, it's a good value. It's around $60. It's bottled at a good presentation, 50% ABV. So you get a little bit of extra complexity. You can play around with a little water some more than you can in other uh, other whiskeys. And it's... um. You know, and it's just a, a very nice whiskey. And then Brooklady also is very transparent with what goes in the bottle. I don't know if you know this, but if you go to their website and you type in the code, there's a code in the back of your bottle. You can see the exact cask makeup of the bottle you're drinking. There should be a little code that's like two numbers dash three numbers. If you type yeah, that code okay. into the website. So, for example, the one I'm drinking right now, it's seven years old. It's made from 82 casks, four vintages, three barley types, and nine cask types, primarily ex-bourbon casks. But there's some French wine in here. There's some sherry cask in here. So it's extraordinarily transparent in what is in the bottle, which, as enthusiasts, we love that. Oh, yeah. The the whiskey geek in me, as you were saying, that was like, that is awesome. I'm probably going to look it up here in a minute as you're talking. That way we can look at what mine is. So it's, the, it's the one that's like actually etched into the paint. Is that right? Right next to the date? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. I am going to look that one up. Um, as, as I'm getting into this, though, you mentioned how they're transparent about the recipe. And, and if I'm not mistaken, they mentioned on their website that they don't follow like a specific batch for this. It's more mm-hmm. based on like... I don't know what you would want to call it. The vibe. They didn't say that, but but that's what I would consider it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with their classic laddie, which is their intro into their Scotch whiskey portfolio, uh, yeah, they'll they'll play around with it. Each release will be a little bit different because they're just throwing a bunch of different things in there that kind of have the core characteristics of the classic laddie. But uh, yeah, there's no set style. I mean, that's why they allow you to look it up and see exactly what's in there obviously they can only tell you what the youngest whiskey in there is so this one's a seven-year-old but there's going to be older whiskey in this uh, bottle as well okay now help me out here tell me where i type this in at so we can figure out what's in my all right so bottle. i just in the chat i sent you a link let me make oh, okay. sure that's the right link 
Um, all right, yeah. So I sent you a link. Uh, click on that, and then there should be enter five-digit code, and that should allow you to see what's in the bottle that you have. Mine was from 2020. My guess is yours is a couple of years more recent. Awesome. Yeah, this is 2022. I think it said... Yes, June of 2022. I'm going to throw the code in here and we'll see what it is. Uh, Now, how much variety are we talking between these bottles? Do they, I guess we're about to see with my example, but do they throw in like some wildly different finishes or do you notice that it's fairly consistent across the? It's going to be fairly consistent. It's going to be mostly ex bourbon, uh, ex refill bourbon casks. So it's going to have that, uh, you know, slightly more orchard, the tropical fruit forward style of whiskey with those salinity of the coastal uh maturation but you'll see some interesting like you know red wine casks in there some uh sherry casks thrown in there so it'll add some uh hints of other flavor profiles okay now you you hit the nail right on the head for what i was smelling at least in the beginning was super like fruity pops out of the glass I will concede about, you know, there being a large variety when it comes to scotch because this smells like nothing else that I've had so far um, yeah. in the world of scotch for sure. Okay, yeah, here we I go. Mean, go ahead. This one is not designed to necessarily blow you away in terms of its, uh, you know, super rare, engaging whiskey, but you're looking at it from the perspective of, a $60 bottle of scotch whiskey, 50% ABV, at least seven years old. It's a great value and it's an interesting whiskey to try. And then, you know, I always recommend people play around with a few drops of water, see how it changes, see how it evolves, and then let the air kind of get into the bottle as well over the next few weeks and see what you think of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I would consider it almost like, you know, I always thought, um, Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve is like a nice uh, kind of welcoming glass. This is like it's it's similarly welcoming, but it's got way more flavor and complexity. I mean, it is in a, a significantly different price range from Glenlivet Caribbean yeah. Reserve, uh, but it just brings more pop to it. I mean, it, it oh, yeah. jumps right out of the glass at you. Yeah, I get some nice maltiness from it too. You can you can taste the youth in it, which is perfectly fine for this style of whiskey. Um, and I don't know. If, uh, I'm guessing yours has the taste profile diagram, which I think is really cool, where they give you how this how your particular bottle kind of skews towards fruity or floral or you know what are the the various uh, characteristics are. Yes, and I will cover that. I'm glad that you told me how to look this up because I like to always. Uh, we'll give our notes. We'll talk about what we like and don't like about it. And then at the end, I like to talk about what the distiller says you should taste because I want people to get our unbiased opinion before we've read that. I mean, I know that you know kind of what you're expecting, but at least I don't. Uh, and then we will talk about what the distiller says you should get. So you kind of get both perspectives because sometimes yeah. distillers hit the nail on the head and sometimes they don't. So I, I like to really cover both. Yeah. And I mean, for me personally, I almost never look at the tasty notes on the side of a bottle, even after I've drunk it. Uh, typically, you know what the from the distillery, you know, the cast type, you know how old it is. You have a, already an idea in your mind of what it should taste like or what you expect it to taste like. And then it'll be just interesting to see how it deviates from your expectations. So that's kind of how I always go into, you know, just tasting whiskeys in general. Yeah, I think that's a great way to go about it. Now, in my bottle here, we've got a vatting of 83 casks, 4 vintages, 6 barley types, and 13 cask types. So just the first couple that it lists here. We've got French oak first fill, uh, U.S. bourbon first fill, and then France Bordeaux. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. A Merlot (laughs) second fill. Wow. Okay. If you're if you're a whiskey geek and you're listening to this, especially if you're on the email list and you bought this bottle in advance, 
go look that up. That is super cool. I will be looking yeah. at that later on because I, I love that transparency. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one of the few distilleries that are this transparent. Uh, this and the Blender Compass Box, those are the two most transparent whiskey makers in Scotland. Both of them tell you exactly what you're drinking, which is great. It's like, I, For me, I love seeing the data behind the actual bottle that I'm drinking. Uh, just It's just fun to look at. Absolutely. I've, I've complained before on here when I'm reviewing something, if they got all this awesome marketing and you're like, this is exciting and you go look it up and it's like, this is our whiskey. And then that's it. And like, it doesn't tell you anything about it. I can't stand that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, <clears throat> another question that I had for you, as we're admiring the scotch, we're talking about how great it is. If you had to pick a runner up type of whiskey, you can't pick scotch. What would be your next favorite? Uh, my number two would be Irish whiskey. Um, okay. It's obviously, there's a lot of parallels to Scotch whiskey, but a mm -hmm. single pot still Irish whiskey has an additional grassiness to it that is just so unique to its style that it, that I love. Like I sent you a sample of the Redbreast 12-year-old cast strength. Yes. And just, it's such a unique style of a, of a it's 100% barley, but it's got some unmalted barley, some malted barley. And it's uh, creates a, a unique perspective and a really interesting style of whiskey that I, I love to drink. So that would be my number two uh, right after Scotch whiskey. Awesome. I'm glad you didn't just say like Irish single malts or Japanese single malts. I, I like that you said single pot still because I was like, crap, maybe I should have cut out single malt altogether. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That that unmalted barley gives it this super different taste to it that I, I also very much enjoy. And we've talked about that that red breast 12 year um, since you introduced me to the cask strength. And I don't know if I can go back to, to just yeah. normal strength. Now, as I'm diving into this, I will... I'll give some opinions, and obviously you might agree, you might disagree, but um, I'll, I'll kind of do this as if I am the guest because you're the one who knows more about this bottle. I'm going to throw out some opinions, and I'd like to just bounce them off you and, and see your yeah. thoughts as well. This so far, and I'm assuming, obviously, you already mentioned it. You've had Buna Haben as well a couple times, so oh, yeah. You, yeah. I can compare to that a little bit because that's like my only compass in this right now yeah. is, is that I've had yep. the Buna Haben. This, to me has much more of like a, a, a juicy type of a fruit to it, whereas the Bunahaben for me had like a sour candy type of a fruit. Mm -hmm. um, and it the Bunahaben also for me had more of the brininess, whereas this is coming through with more of the fruitiness, almost like a fruit that was sprinkled with like a salt. Like if you take a fruit and you just put a little bit of salt on it. Uh, definitely a little bit of malt in there, but I'm getting so much fruit forward that it's surprising me quite a bit right now. What's the uh, youngest vintage uh, or distillation year for yours? That is it an excellent just, question. It'll only reveal one date, so that'll give you your, your answer. Okay. So if I go over here, bottled in 2022, where does it put that date at? So if you look at the different cast types, one of them will show you the distillation year. Oh, okay. So I'd have to find which one says the year. Uh, let's see. Oh man, there's a ton of. I mean, they share them all, but there's a ton of casks. Oh yeah, always. Oh, you said thirteen cast types, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Is it always thirteen, or is it just? Uh... No, mine's nine cast types, so they they vary each. Uh, each oh my batch. gosh. Okay, 2015. That's the youngest here, and then bottled in 2022, right. so seven year. 
Yeah, so that's the same uh, age as mine. So obviously the drink that I'm drinking is going to be slightly different than yours, but they're, they're, the bones will be about the same. Um, but uh, I, I would have to agree with your general assessment if you're comparing it to the Bunahaven 12. Bunahaven 12 will have more of that sherry influence, which will kind of deaden some of that more juicy sweetness um, uh, and kind of bring out some more like chocolatey dark fruits from it. Um, and this one for me, at least what I'm getting, I do get some more, maybe a little bit more of that salinity to it than you are. Um, and then I do get the the barley and kind of orchard fruits. Those are kind of the, the takeaways for me, uh, which for me is, is nice. This is a great uh, starter whiskey for me if I'm having a flight of whiskeys because it's not overpowering in any direction and it helps acclimate our palates to maybe some more dynamic whiskeys right after. Definitely. And I'm glad you pointed out that sherry. So Bunahaben mm-hmm. is, is sherried then. I don't remember because I haven't. It's, it's ex-bourbon it and sherry, but it's got a okay. more heavily sherried influence. Definitely. And so I'm glad you pointed that out because a lot of times the sherried for me always I always get this slightly bitter note on my tongue from from things that are heavily sherried. And I didn't know until you said that. I think that's what's making this seem so fruit forward to me because I'm not mm-hmm. getting that little bit of bitterness that goes with the sherry. And uh, yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I agree with you that this is a great kind of get your feet wet uh, and and see that fruitiness in the front with with the barley taste, of course, um, before, at least if you're like me and that sherry note starts to bother you a little bit before you dive into that sherried stuff. Yeah, and I mean, this is a, a good bare bones style of Scotch whiskey. It might not be for everybody, but uh, you know, ex bourbon cast—that's the most common form of maturation for Scotch whiskeys, and that uh, gives you kind of the baseline of what a Scotch whiskey can be. Obviously, every distillery has its unique style, but uh, if you get like a well aged, like a twenty plus year old ex bourbon cask. Uh, scotch whiskey i mean it just pounds you with like those tropical fruits coconuts and mangoes vanilla it's such a wonderful experience um so i mean for people who are against finishes and uh, different styles of maturation if you just take bare bones scotch whiskey you can really make a wonderful style out of it uh, just with age and the right conditions of aging okay now that that opens up a question for me and you don't have to give your your exact answer. You can always just give, oh, this one comes to mind. But yeah. people always love to ask, you know, the oldest whiskeys that you've had, things like that. But what's the oldest scotch that you've had that held up to its age? So the age wasn't just a gimmick. You were like, this is wowing me with its age right now. Yeah, that would probably be, uh, there's a few, uh, but mm-hmm. the one that first pops to my mind is, uh, it's called uh, Deluin is the name of the distillery. It's a lesser known Scotch whiskey distillery. Most of their stuff goes into blends. It's owned by Diageo, which makes Johnny Walker. So a lot of their whiskeys go into Johnny Walker blends. Uh, one of the more prominent independent bottlers in Scotland called Signatory uh, bought some casks of Deluin and uh, I recently maybe a year or two ago bought a few bottles of their delu and 23 year old phenomenal value is under 200 dollars for a 23 year old scotch whiskey at cash strength uh only ex bourbon cast so straightforward bare bone scotch whiskey and it was it's just so wonderful and fruity and creamy i mean it's just uh, a whiskey that really is uh, one of the best that I've, I've ever had so um that one would be the one that kind of sticks out in my mind is all right 23 years old it was a really good value, and it de- the, the, you can taste the extra age with this ex-bourbon cask. Uh, it's nothing fancy, just super old ex-bourbon whiskey that's phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. I guess I didn't even think about um, how 
the bourbon casks would affect it as it continues to get older because in the world of bourbon, you don't let the bourbon get super old a lot of the yeah. time. You know, you've got a very different climate when you're aging it over here, and the corn's going to let that oak come through full force. So yeah. that's a really interesting take, and I, I clearly I haven't had anything super old aged in a bourbon cask. So um, I, we've already talked before. I'm going to be ordering some, some stuff based yeah. on your recommendations. So that's a very interesting. Uh, I'd like to. I'd be interested in trying some of the older stuff and seeing. I guess I guess I'm a little bit surprised by the notes that you mentioned the bourbon casks give it. I'd like to see oh, yeah. that perspective and see if I see a familiar familiarity with bourbon. Yeah, and I, I mean, like you said, uh, obviously the much cooler climate means it's not going to get over oaked. And if you get a refill bourbon, like a second fill, third fill bourbon cask, that and let it mature for a very long time, it won't get over oaky. But those uh, tropical fruits really start coming through in the creaminess. I mean, it really delivers uh, such a wonderful whiskey experience. So definitely something to keep an eye out on. I'll have to see if I can find any uh, samples for you to try out just so you can experience some of these older styles of scotch whiskey. We need to we need to increase your scotch whiskey collection relative <laughs> to your bourbon collection. I'm sure it's the, the ratio is very low right now. We need to kind of bump that back up. Yeah. Hey, we need to bump up your bourbon collection a little bit. Anybody who tells me you can try two bourbons, they taste pretty similar. I got to get you some bourbons that don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I actually have some of the samples that you sent me. I haven't actually yes. delve into them yet, but, uh, you know, I am starting to get taste some more bourbons. Uh, I do get a ton of samples sent to me, some, a lot of bottles sent to me from various mm -hmm. distributors. Um, so, you know, I am trying to kind of, uh, build out the bourbon palette, but, uh, unless it's finished in like the van, the, the, uh, barrel bourbon vantage has that unique uh, finish to it which i really liked for me that was kind of a an above average bourbon because it added a perspective to bourbon that i hadn't had before um you know if it's just your straight old bourbon uh you know it's like oaky if it's old you know kind of sweet similar characteristics it's younger so you know still trying to get some of those nuances yeah no totally have you had by chance then barrels seagrass it's it's a rye that's finished uh, I don't think I've had the seagrass, though I do like rye finished whiskeys as well. So that's one to keep an eye out on. I might have to shoot you over a sample of it. Yeah, they take <laughs> they take a rye and they finish it in apricot brandy, Madeira, and something else casks. That's gonna bother me. Whatever, the, whatever the third one. Is. People are listening right now, screaming at the 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 phone. But it's totally different because it's got those they do it a really good job of bringing those three together so i'll have to get you over and of course since it's barrel it's at cask strength so I'll yeah have to which, get which you we love sample yeah and just uh to follow up it's uh the, the rum madeira and apricot brandy barrels mm. yes rum i forgot okay yes it's rum and it it the rum brings you that sweet kind of molassesy the apricot comes through like full force it's it's totally different. You're going to have to I'll have to get you a sample of it. And the samples that you did send me, uh, the compass box that you mentioned, I loved that. I think it was No Name 2 or 3. 3. No Name 3. No Name 3. Really enjoyed that. I think my patrons enjoyed it because I did a bunch of uh, – I did those reviews on Patreon so people could get kind of an extended yeah. thoughts since I was trying something new. So, yeah, I really like branching out into Scotch, which is going to really well segue into the questions that I have for you. The first one, and, and this is one that I've had people ask me, and I've straight up told them, I don't know that I can really answer that because I don't have enough experience. You could only mention a couple if you want, or you can go through all of them, but what 
what flavors or brands do you think of when you think of each of the regions of Scotland? And so I'll just we'll start with Highland. What what type of flavor or brand do you think of when you think of that? You know, so the regionality of Scotch whiskey uh, is more of a kind of past thing, an archaic thing. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the regionality of specific flavor profiles have kind of blended together in recent years as different regions will try different styles of whiskey. Um, in uh, in general, the Highlands were kind of a catch-all because you had the four other regions and everything not in the four other regions were just bucketed into the Highlands. So you have island distilleries that are technically part of the Highlands, which are going to be more coastal. Um uh, with you know more of those maritime salinity styles of whiskey, uh, and then you have some Highlanders that are uh, a little bit more robust and meaty, kind of like uh, a Klein Leash, uh, which has some nice waxiness to it. Um, so I mean, it's you know, and then you have plenty of peated styles of Highlands, uh, like Lechik, which is made by Tobermory Distillery on the Isle of Mull. Um, so really, the the flavor profile of the Highlands is is the most uh, diverse because it's just kind of a catch all, and they make all styles of whiskey. Okay, I'm so glad you said that because, I, first of all, I've had a few different ones from different regions that I've thought they taste similar. And like, if you look yeah. it up, people are like, well, this tastes like this and this tastes like that. And I'm like, but really, they, they, they taste kind of similar. And then when I found out, I think it's uh, Talisker, there's a few of them that are technically Highland, but are, are peated. And I was like, wait a minute. Obviously, this yeah. is when I was really getting into it. But I'm like, I thought Isla was like all the peated stuff. So... I'm glad to have you break that down since you have such a knowledge of it. Now, yeah. what? So then, let me narrow it down a little bit. Then I'll narrow down the question. What region do you think, aside from Isla being peated, because I think that's a that's a softball. What other region do you think has the most distinct kind of uh, personality to it? Uh, it would have to be Campbelltown, Scotland. Okay. So this is the small smallest region. It only has three active distilleries right now. Uh, Springbank, which is my favorite distillery, has three different mm-hmm. brands: Springbank, Longrow, Hazelburn. It's got Glen Scotia, and then Kilcarran, uh, which from is from the Glen Guile Distillery, uh, which is owned by Springbank. So it's basically the sister distillery on the same site. Uh, but that one would have the most unique style of whiskey. And I, did I send you a sample of Springbank or no? When I you did, that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, the Spring Mac 10, I'm guessing, was what I sent yes. you. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and and that's a perfect example of it. I mean, it's gently peated, so you'll get a little bit of that that uh, smokiness on the background, but then you get this uh, industrial, like oily uh, style funkiness to it that is very, very unique to that uh, that region of scotland um and a lot of that has to do with a where it is because it's right by the coast you'll get some of that coastalness and then everything they do on site is what they did from back in the 1800s it's very old style they have no new technology so the way they make whiskey hasn't evolved at all so it's a very old style industrial dirty whiskey which i personally love it's got so much character and uh intrigue to it okay so are you saying that the even even the process is a little bit different and how they're doing it that's giving it that character Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything they do is uh, a lot of distilleries in Scotland, and I'm sure in the United States, um, they have a lot of computer generation and tell you where the cut points are and everything is kind of automated to a certain point. Whereas in Springbank, the closest thing to automation is a little bell that uh, rings when something needs to be changed. um, That just goes around the cog. So it's really very old. So, you know, there's a lot more human variants we'll say so you're not going to get consistent consistencies from batch to batch which for me i love i love having a springbank 10 from 2023 that tastes a little bit different than the one i had from two years ago because it's just uh it, that's part of why we love whiskey is to see these nuances and the evolution and change over time um and then obviously scotland is known for their dunnage warehouses i'm sure you're familiar with dunnage warehouses um so think- uh that's an 
Yeah. So uh, basically, for those Go who ahead. don't know, it's a uh, it's a yeah. warehouse in Scotland that's basically uh, ages the casks right on the dirt uh so it gets some more dankness some more funkiness into it uh springbank's not the only distillery that has it many distillers have uh, those types of warehouses in scotland but uh that's another reason why they have uh, kind of an earthy funkiness to their styles of whiskey okay yeah i was gonna try to describe it and i was gonna be wrong so i'm glad you jumped in <laughs> i actually didn't even know that that's really interesting okay so is it safe to say then that that's your favorite region or do you, you don't like oh, yeah, yeah, favorites? I mean, okay. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, Springbank is my favorite distillery and it's one of three distilleries in Campbelltown. So it's, uh, you know, it would be my favorite region, but uh, I mean, and I love, uh, Kilcarran too, their sister distillery, Glen Scotia. It's fine. I don't like it nearly as much as Springbank, but yeah, in general, Campbelltown is, uh, is my go-to. Okay, good to know. And like I said, you you sent that spring bank. I really enjoyed that. Actually, even had it on an episode. So that's one of the ones when I do put in an order. I'm I'm very carefully picking what I'm going to order. But uh, something from Campbelltown, if I can get my hands on it, is definitely it's going hard. To be. It's hard it, it, in today's day and age. It's very hard to get Campbelltown whiskeys. Uh, and yeah. but the more spring the more spring bank you drink, the more you're gonna learn about it engage with it and kind of just fall in love with it so i sent you a one ounce sample uh mm -hmm. if you had a full bottle of spring bank 10 by the bottom of it you, it would you know it would climb the ranks of your favorite distilleries uh even within the united states i mean it's just an incredible whiskey yeah i don't doubt that honestly because i i did a whole episode while i was tasting it and i just kept saying like i can't believe that this tastes so different from what I was expecting. And I was really enjoying that. And speaking of United States whiskeys, that segues me to a question I wanted to ask you. American yeah. single malts, they're they're blowing up. You're hearing about them places. What have you had and what is your take as somebody who likes scotch whiskey so much? Uh, so, I mean, obviously American single malt is the uh, kind of the, the new hot whiskey in the United States. Uh, it's not still far from as popular as the standard bourbons and whatnot and rye whiskeys, but um, I haven't had a ton of American single malts uh, because for me, the, the biggest challenge is the uh, price of entry. Obviously, they're smaller mm -hmm. productions. And so typically you're paying for around $75 for an American single malt. Chances are they're not going to be better than what we're drinking right now, the Brooklady. Um and uh, unless they have a really unique process that is very different than Scotland, it's hard for me to justify the premium unless I feel like it's a local distillery that I really want to support. Um, so I haven't really engaged too much with American single malts. That said, there is an American single malt distillery that's about an hour north of me uh, in New York. It's called 10 Mile Distillery. And they're the only distillery in the United States who actually was able to hire a master distiller from Scotland. He previously worked at Wolfburn in uh, Scotland. And he makes uh, American single malts exactly like you would make in Scotch whiskey, except for super long fermentation times. And everything, every step along the process is done with the exact care you'd expect it to no shortcuts nothing and i've only had one sample of their three-year-old release and it was superb it tasted much much older than a three-year-old single malt whiskey so very excited to see what they have to offer over the next few years yeah and that's actually what i'm excited to see with american single malts is how they taste compared to the age because of that different climate that we've got in the u.s yeah yep. i'm I can't wait to see what happens. I like you said, it's still the premium's still kind of high, and a lot of these distillers are still getting going. But it's not even like something that's very easy to source because it's so new. So these distillers are really trying to get their feet under them, and it's really exciting to see. Absolutely. Now I will ask, and you can you can plead the fifth if you'd like. What are a few of your favorite bourbons that you've had? You did a you did mention Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. 
Yeah, so Elijah Craig Barrel Proof was my gateway into really engaging and enjoying bourbons. Um, and I'm still looking for that C923. So if you have any connections, you know, uh, keep, keep me uh, posted because that one is the elusive one where uh, it's just impossible to find in any any liquor stores. Uh, yeah. I, you know, anytime there's an age statement hike, there people are going to go crazy over it. But anyways, um, so that was one uh, Larceny Barrel Proof. I've I've kind of engaged with. I've been enjoying that one as well, especially the uh, I think it was B. 523 the one that came out uh just before this most recent one which was really really nice and fruitier than i expected um and uh let me think uh, i got a sample of uh high and wicked have you heard of the brand high and wicked i don't think it's i a, have it's a relatively new brand it sources from mgp like most other places but mm-hmm. they also source from uh, tennessee whiskey and they sent me a bottle of what called the judge it's a 14 year old tennessee whiskey and uh you know bottled at 52 percent, and it just had this nice oaky nuttiness to it that i really kind of engaged with and really enjoyed so that was another one that i've been drinking recently that i've been liking and then uh i, I mentioned to you the vantage i really enjoy because mm-hmm. i like that finish adds a nice uh, dynamic unique style of bourbon to it without overshadowing what makes bourbon good um and uh just try let, let me take a look at my shelf back here some of the yep. uh, the other bourbons I've got uh, some smoke. Yeah, some smoke wagons. uh, You know, obviously classic MGP. That's some good stuff, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially the uncut, unfiltered, cash strength, very well-made bourbons. Um, uh, Knob Creek uh, store picks always tend to be pretty good. They're usually around Mm -hmm. 60% ABV with 10, 11, 12 years of age. I mean, it's hard to go wrong. I mean, you know, a lot of these bourbons I'm mentioning to me have very, you know, similar at least base flavor profiles so i don't reach for them as often but those are ones that i've been engaging with and enjoying uh over the last uh you know few years yeah and so you're reaching for a lot of the high proof stuff it sounds like as well what what's your favorite proof point is it the same for bourbon and scotch and if not what what are your favorite proof points um, I mean, I always uh, like it at cash strength, so it doesn't, you know, if it's 55% versus 65%, I'm, I'm fine with either one because I'm always, mm-hmm. always, always going to play around with some water. Um, you know, I'll try it neat, but then I'll I'll kind of uh, put a few drops of water in a time and kind of unpeel the, the onion that is the whiskey to see how it kind of uh, evolves and changes with different amounts of water. So for me, that's... Uh, that's why I like all cast strength whiskeys, whether it's scotch or bourbons. Um, and then I might end up watering it down to like 46, 47, 48% anyways to, to finish off the drink. But it just allows so much more flexibility in the drinking experience. So that's why I'm always looking for cast strength whiskeys. Yeah, no, that's an absolutely great point. I'm glad you mentioned it, too, because I was going to add a little drop here to my Brooklady and uh, yeah. see what how it changes a little bit. To to wrap up my my opinion on this one so far, the Brooklady. I think that the tropical fruit notes that you mentioned are, are spot on. And as I'm drinking it, I'm getting more of that maltiness. It's kind of like you get the fruit right on the front, and then as it fades, the maltiness sticks around for me. And so then each sip, I'm kind of getting more of the maltiness building up on my palate, which is definitely enjoyable, and it also makes the experience kind of change as you continue through the glass. I did just add a little bit of water, though, so we'll see how that changes. Yeah. We'll see how that changes. Then, then of course, the, the you, you'd expect maltiness in a whiskey that is primarily seven years old, uh, which mm-hmm. is fine. I think uh, you know sometimes the youthfulness can come out, can be a little off putting to some people. But for me, especially with a, a nice blended, like a nice the way they blend this Brooklady Classic Laddie, um, the maltiness adds a nice complement to the those fruity orchard tropical notes and a little bit of that coastal influence to it. So it's a, a very well made entry level Scotch whiskey. 
Yeah, and I even I, I mentioned that the maltiness sticks around because I think compared, and maybe it's just my palate right now, but compared to a lot of other scotches that I've had, it doesn't. It's not so much on the forefront with the malt. Like it doesn't smack yeah. you with the malt flavor. It 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 slowly kind of builds throughout the glass. Not to say that that's a problem because I actually really like a malty flavor. Probably because if I'm drinking scotch, I'm looking for the malty flavor. But of course. Uh, of course. But this is a nice little change up where I'm, it's not the first thing that I noticed when I smelled it and when I tasted it, which is really interesting. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, a dynamic whiskey, and again, for sixty dollars, uh, it's hard to it's hard to have any complaints about this. I mean, there are even better valued whis- Scotch whiskeys out there than sixty dollars, but you know, fifty percent ABV, uh, at least seven years old, dynamic blend from the Brooklady Distillery. It's a really really well made whiskey. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can see this being one that I will recommend in the future. Uh, and as I added that water to it, it did bring out a little bit of that brininess. I don't know if it's because mm-hmm. it, it dulled the fruit a little bit, but I, I got more of the brine from it with that water. Overall, dynamic that you mentioned, dynamic's a great word. Dynamic's a great word for this glass. It, it's uh, got a lot going on. I'm getting a lot of different things, um, but not in an overwhelming manner and not... <clears throat> presented in a way that they all just hit your palate and it's all like oh my gosh because sometimes i've had whiskeys do that and it's like but uh no it's presented in a really nice way now i will mention as i mentioned i like to go through what the distiller uh, mentions so i'll just go through the the basic classic lottie notes here so and, and I'd like to hear your opinion. We'll go through, uh, they, they have character on here, and then we'll go through character, nose, palette, finish. And I'd like to hear your opinion. Since you normally don't do this, you normally don't read the notes um, on, yeah. on what they present here. Character, they say, and I don't know if, what this means, but they say, smooth as pebbles in a pool, it's clean, fresh, and lively with both the oak and the grain in perfect harmony. I think that's fair. I think... Uh, smooth as pebbles in a pool is an interesting uh it's an interesting way to put it anytime i see the word smooth on a whiskey bottle i just think all right their marketing team is here because the casual whiskey drinker uh, or the infrequent whiskey drinker the way they describe a good whiskey is that it's smooth oh that's a smooth whiskey that means it has to be good uh so the fact that it's saying smooth i i wouldn't necessarily describe this as a smooth whiskey you know it's a fairly simple whiskey for the most part it does have some layers to it, it is pretty dynamic uh mm-hmm. but uh you know smooth is i like the the wording i mean it's very poetic uh so i, I guess we'll give them that yeah yeah we'll give them that i think oak and grain being in harmony is clever because it's like like i mentioned that grain doesn't punch you in the face it it kind of plays with the oakiness so i I do like yeah i think i think that is an accurate uh an accurate way to describe this because uh, because of its youth you can taste that barley a little bit more and it inner and it's mostly the ex-bourbon cast so uh, which is more going to be oak forward so it does have mm-hmm. that kind of interaction to it so i think that's a, a well said uh description yeah yeah now speaking of poetic their their nose and their palate are like paragraphs so i'm not <laughs> going to bore everybody by just reading those paragraphs feel free to look it up yourself uh but here's just a couple <laughs> of the things that they mentioned so uh barley sugar a hint of mint which is kind of interesting freshly cut wildflowers um cherry blossom is is uh definitely the fruitiness is definitely there. Uh, and then, hold on, I'm trying to wade through some of the, uh, what's the word, exposition that they give here. 
yeah, they mentioned that you get a little bit of the uh, the coastal flavor from it. And then it says, okay, then it says caramelized fruits drift onto the scene, lemon drops and honey, tangerine and tablet. Caramelized fruits, I would say I agree with. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good description. And that's all just on the nose. And then the palate, it's <laughs> they they go deep with their descriptions. Um, barrel that you mentioned, I had one of their bottles on here. I think it was seagrass and it was similarly poetic uh they mentioned sweet oak and barley arriving together sending the taste buds into raptures fruits from distillation atlantic breeze champagne bubbles that's an interesting one that i haven't heard before uh ripe green fruit brown sugar malt and then let me get past some more exposition you must use barley that is made in Scotland. It makes us a benchmark for other. Okay, so then they just go into talking about the the barley a little bit. That the palate yeah. I think is 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 very fair. I would say. Yeah, and I actually like that champagne bubbles because it does have like an effervescence to it that uh, is kind of unique and like a nice freshness that that's in this whiskey that I, that's really enjoyable. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way. It's it's kind of like the opposite of when something feels creamy on your palate. It's like, a, yeah. I mean, champagne bubbles is a clever way to put it. Kind of like a juice, yeah. like if you've had like a like a white grape juice, like that type of bite effervescence, like you mentioned. That's a good word yeah. for it. Yep. So yeah. Anyhow, I like to run through those notes for those listening. You know, don't ever think that you're wrong because a distiller says one thing or the other but um that is that's what they say and i I like to run through it for that reason yeah and i i'll i'll piggyback on that comment you know one of the reasons i rarely talk about my own personal whiskey tasty notes is because tasty notes are so subjective everybody's palate is unique and different so what i'm tasting won't necessarily be what you're tasting what you're tasting isn't necessarily wrong everybody just tastes and pulls out different things based on their experience based on their genetics based on their palate so you know it's it's hard to really uh you know it's hard to really trust tasty notes unless you know your palate aligns with whomever you're talking with yes yeah and i've had that before um i I have a lot of my friends on here like like from before the pot like not influencer friends but just my friends on here and and i like to have them on because they're newer to whiskey and we'll compare notes and a lot of times you'll know i'll say like i think you're saying this and i'm getting this and those are different but that's okay like you mentioned everybody's palate is definitely different um but i think you know we can still at least get to the core of the bottle like there's stuff that we're going to agree on that's similar um but yeah sometimes distillers will dress them up and make them a little bit poetic (laughs) definitely now to round it out a lot of my followers you know i drink a lot of bourbon a lot of us drink bourbon and scotch and irish whiskey and rye and all that um but definitely at least from the questions that i get from the people that i do talk to and interface with there's a lot of bourbon drinkers listening and i was curious if you could just lay out maybe even based on your experience on how you got into scotch if i'm a bourbon drinker and i'm curious about scotch i i want to delve into maybe a couple bottles or i i am not even sure where to get started how would you recommend a bourbon drinker kind of migrate into the world of scotch yeah so i i'll start by saying that it's been much harder for me to convert bourbon drinkers into scotch than scotch drinkers into bourbon uh bourbon drinkers at least in my experience, tend to really like that that bold sweetness uh, mm-hmm. that comes from a bourbon in general. So when they go to a much more subtle style of whiskey, like a 
you know, scotch whiskey that's uh, matured in ex bourbon casks, it'll come off as kind of uninteresting, hard to pick out some of those more uh, flavors that aren't super prominent on the palate. Um, so it, it's been it's been a challenge for for some of my bourbon drinking friends to kind of get them over there. Uh, but I will say, don't ever pigeonhole yourself into any one subset of any spirit. You know, explore scotch whiskeys, bourbons, rums, uh, mezcals, tequilas, anything you you know, any spirit out there will only kind of build your palate. Uh, and if you're going to go into scotch whiskey, um, if you like those, you know, bold cast strength uh, or barrel proof bourbons, then I would say seek some cast strength or uh, barrel proof sherried scotch whiskey because the sherry tends to be a very bold, dominant flavor profile, very different than bourbon, but it's a flavor profile that's easier to kind of pick out and say, all right, I'm getting some very strong flavors here. I can kind of engage with this. And that might help you kind of lead or gateway into uh, different styles of scotch whiskey that are a little bit more subtle and uh, nuanced. Um, and I, I've noticed that oddly, uh, a lot of uh, people tend to gravitate towards peated whiskey. So uh, peated scotch whiskey. So that would be another one to kind of look into. It's got a very distinct flavor, very smoky or uh, medicinal style of whiskey that can be uh, engaging or interesting to a bourbon drinker. So, you know, Peated or sherry cast. Those would be the kind of ones that I would try to sway a bourbon drinker into. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, as you've mentioned too, there's such a variety that don't just try one scotch and be like, I don't like scotch. Cause I've met people who do that. Oh yeah. And, and it's su such a variety, especially the difference between unpeated and peated is just, if you haven't experienced it, I can't even describe it to you. It's so, so different. Yeah. Experience. Yeah. And of course, if you want to learn more about Scotch, then you've got to follow Tim because he's posting about it. He's got all the videos about it. Tim, where can folks find you? So most of my content will be on Instagram, uh, the Whiskey Influencer, Whiskey spelled correctly without the E. <laughs> so make sure you get that right, not the whiskey with the E in it. Um, and I do replicate a lot of my material on TikTok. I just copy and paste because I don't have the uh, energy to make unique content for TikTok. And then I'll mm. post my Instagram lives that I do on YouTube and podcast format. In fact, the uh, Instagram live that you and I had back in like May or June, I still have to upload eventually to YouTube <laughs> and podcast format. So that'll be another conversation that your listeners can hear once I get that into uh, into the, the various formats. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll put your handles down in the description below so people can go find you. I know a lot of you guys, you're getting the bourbon side of it from me. And I do cover some scotch stuff. But if you go give Tim a follow, you're going to learn quite a bit about the different brands. I mean, just in this conversation, how many times was I like, oh, okay, great point. So definitely go give Tim a follow. Tim, thank you for coming on. And thank you for this recommendation. I, just to give some closing thoughts on it. I really enjoyed it. I, this Every time that I try a scotch that's not just something I see at my liquor store, I'm like, Oh, this tastes so different than than what I expected it to taste like. This has been no exception. Uh, this totally has such a fruit forward, bright palate that I, I really enjoyed. So thank you for the recommendation and thank you for the time. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Hopefully we can talk again soon. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you need more Whiskey Noobs content in your life, make sure you check out our Patreon page in the show notes. And if you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review. It only takes a couple of minutes, and they're way more helpful than people realize. If you want to do tastings alongside the show, make sure you join the email list by sending an email to whiskeynoobspodcast at gmail.com with a subject line that says email list. You'll receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead 
of time. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at Whiskey underscore Noobs and on TikTok at Whiskey Noobs Podcast. Once again, thank you guys for listening. The Whiskey Noobs Podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.